Welcome to episode 60 of the UK Run Chat podcast. I'm Joe Williams and in this episode I'm speaking with Sam Murphy. Sam is an endurance coach, author and journalist. She has been writing her column in Runner's World, Murphy's Law, for over a decade. Sam's first book, Run for Life, The Complete Guide for Every Female Runner, has sold more than 200,000 copies and is available in 14 languages. Sam's latest book, Run Your Best Marathon, was published in September 2022. We had a lovely chat. Please do comment on our social media threads. If you've got any questions, then you can get in touch on info at ukrunchat.co.uk. Enjoy getting to know Sam. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. Good to be here. Lovely to have you come on the podcast. Thank you. And that was a great close-up of a dragonfly you shared on Twitter the other day. How did you <laughs> close? <laughs> well, that was actually on, yeah, I was out, out on a run and uh, I just saw there were quite a few of them um, just buzzing around in the brambles and I just watched until one stopped and then I just went in. It was literally just with my phone, with my iPhone. And I just went in and I, I always snap. The first one I'll snap and it's maybe not that near, but then you've at least got one so you can go home and identify it. Yes. And then you get in a little bit closer, take another one, take another one. You keep going until, you know, either it flies off and or you're so close that you can't get any closer to take another picture and keep trying to sort of get good focus. But, yeah, it's it's a little bit of an addition to my runs these days, stopping to snap uh maybe like a plant or an insect and then try and find out what it is later yeah it's good for the soul isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah and it's a really good excuse for a little breather as well <laughs> yeah but you really get that that dragonfly it's vi- the colors on it are vivid if anyone hasn't seen it check out sam's twitter post um, yeah they're very it's, i think it's colors. a migrant hawker mm. so it's a beautiful vivid sort of turquoise and black in the yeah. uh, almost like spirals down its body yeah lovely I, I tend to bore my wife when we go on jogs together because i'm looking out for the birds <laughs> get oh yes yeah me too i haven't really found a way of combining those those two loves of running and and bird watching though i mean i have tried running with binoculars in my sort of little hydration pack you know a sort of small pair of binoculars but then you know you go and sort of run to somewhere where you could go and watch some birds but then you stop and watch birds and then you feel a bit stiff when you start running again so I kind of think the probably the best way is to keep the two passions separate and yeah. run on you know some days and bird watch on other days yeah yeah I, I run along we've got a river, a river loop near my home so I go along there and we saw a kestrel the other day and we saw a cormorant the other week so yeah it's, nice yeah it's nice just plodding along and cormorant was fishing away so t- tell me about your running then what, what's your earliest memory of running well um my earliest memory of running kind of I mean I know I was never a runner as a child or even as a as a sort of school like a teenager I, w- I was never sporty or active um and then I suppose I kind of got in on the tail end in terms of being active I got in on the tail end of the the sort of aerobics Jane Fonda kind of movement and uh, I remember my sister and me got this um, Jane Fonda video and we used to stand in front of the telly and do (laughs) do do it on the VHS video and then my sister kind of quickly 
lost interest but I just loved it and then I kind of got other videos and I according to my mum I wore a hole in the carpet in front of (laughs) (laughs) where I used to stand there doing these you know these aerobics uh, classes sort of hours on end and uh, and then when I was 19 I went to Australia for a sort of year you know work visa year yeah and I so then I wasn't you know I wasn't in front of a telly and I'd already started going to classes you know at gyms and things by then and suddenly I was kind of you know adrift I was traveling around so I didn't have that sort of stable base and one of my uncles I had a lot of relatives in Australia and I stayed with um my auntie and uncle um in surfers paradise up on the on the the gold coast of Australia and he used to religiously get up and go for a run on the beach every morning and uh, so I went with him and I remember the first time I went you know we ran up to the end of the beach and then he turned to run back and I was you know I just had it and so I sort of had a bit of a rest and I think I kind of tried to look like I was busy so I sort of did a few sit-ups or something on the on the sand and then turned around and I ran back as well and I kind of loved it and hated it at the same time. Yes. Um, in that it was really hard, and I was really sort of quite shocked that my uncle, and I was like nineteen, and he was in his forties, and he was definitely a lot fitter than I was when it came to the running. Yeah. And uh, but there was something about it, you know. I went back the next day, and I've actually still got my diary, my training diary. It wasn't really a training diary at the time; it was a notebook, and I'd had written you know, ran up to the end of the beach, yeah. 20 sit-ups, ran back. And then the next day, you know, and eventually I'd written, ran both ways, you know, without stopping. And that was really the start of of me becoming a, a runner. And when I came back to the UK, uh, a friend a friend of mine sort of said, oh, you know, do you want to do a race? And I was like, a race? <laughs> you know, this is about, I don't know, 19... 1990 I guess yeah and uh and I thought you know there just wasn't the knowledge or the interest or the availability of these things that there is now and you know the yeah. idea I thought you were, you had to be a really good athlete to do a race I didn't know that anyone could go and do a race yeah um and so he entered us into this local race which was nine miles I mean it wasn't a 10k or a 5k and to get you to start you off (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and and I and we completed this race and uh you know it was that was the start of of me you know becoming a regular racer and I actually I'd done my first marathon by sort of autumn of 1991 so I did fall quite quickly and quite hard for running yeah so, Joe, what a place to start, though, Surfers Paradise. When I know, I know. Oh, really? I mean, who wouldn't want to run up and down the beach at Surfers Paradise every yeah. day? Yeah. Joe, you, know, you, you got me thinking you, when you said about the Jane Fonda star workouts. It's funny how things are cyclical. I've, I've seen recently on Facebook there's a, there's a hit page, the hit company, I think it's called, but they do hit step classes, and it's like a, you know, a revamp of – of the old step classes. The step aerobics, yeah, yeah real yeah. throwback, yeah. Yeah, it looks very, I mean, it looks hardcore, you know, you know, banging music and, and real fast beats and exercises, but it's, that's exactly what it is. It's a throwback to the old. It is. Well, yeah. funnily enough, during lockdown, I um, I can't remember what motivated me to do this now, but I actually found the Jane Fonda yeah. video yeah. and I sent it to my sister 
um, I was on YouTube and I sort of sent it to her and said, oh, look, you know, um, remember we used to do this. And I had a go at doing it. And I was amazed how how hard it was. You know, it was just relentless, yeah. absolutely relentless kind of pounding into the into the ground. And I thought, well, it's probably quite a good, um, you know, preparation for becoming a runner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was conditioning, isn't it? It's like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny that that love hate relationship as well that you mentioned because you, again that's I find that cyclical with my running one minute you're um, you're absolutely loving it and then the next minute you're like on oh, no. it's um it's it's a it's a strange relationship that isn't it it is and I think particularly when you're starting out on your on your running journey I mean often the love bit only comes sort of after the run rather than during the run you know you you sort of hate it at the time but once you've finished. And you get that sense of achievement and you've you've mastered something that you didn't think you could master. Yeah. It's that sense of accomplishment that makes you feel really, you know, really good about it. And then you become, you know, much more driven to sort of have that experience again. Yeah. And I think, you know, as somebody who's run a lot of groups over over many years, I think that having that sort of group around you when you're first starting out, you know, there's lots of these, uh, you know, sort of beginner groups and um yes. uh run together groups and stuff now yeah and i think that that is so key for a lot of people because you know they're not enjoying the actual run quite frankly you know it's uh, uncomfortable it's hard it's challenging um but they are enjoying the fact that they've got other people around them to sort of commiserate or or, or you know have a bit of a laugh with along the way and i think that that can kind of get you through those really difficult early weeks and, and months and you know and then before you know where you are suddenly you're like actually I'm enjoying the the running itself now it's not just the cup of tea afterwards yes yeah that sense of of um it's the camaraderie it's that sense of belonging as well whilst you're achieving something isn't it it, re- it gives you um it gives you a real sense of support doesn't it whilst you you're going through that hate bit if you like yeah yeah absolutely do you just you, you mentioned that you you make notes do you um one of our one of our running club members doug he, he's an author actually doug is he's traveled all over the world running and he he's kept a note of every run that he's done on paper you mentioned that you've got a, a diary and notes there do you, do you still keep a written log or yeah i am such a luddite i mean i i've i have been on strava and um you know, I have kind of kept some, sometimes I've, you know, I've used Garmin Connect and things like that, but actually I just really like to write down what run I did and a couple of notes about it. And sometimes it's just very, very brief. Yeah. Other times they're a little bit more lyrical, but yes. And I've got diaries going back, you know, decades of, uh, you know, I've still got, as I said, I still got that first notebook. I mean, I don't know if yeah, I could lay my hand on it right this moment, but I don't throw those out. You know, I've still got a record of my running over um, all those decades. And I, th- I just feel that that's kind of a really nice thing to, to be able to look back on and, yeah. and sort of see how your running's kind of progressed and, and not just progressed because, you know, you reach a point where it's not necessarily going to progress anymore, but it's evolved and, and changed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the evolution of your running, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to ask you more about that in a moment, but just take me back to that first race. I, I'm even when I started running races, you'd um, 
you'd buy an episode, you'd buy a copy of Runner's World, and you'd find a race in the back of the magazine, and you'd you'd send off a stamped stamped address envelope. You would check. Enter. That's right. And I still remember to this day that my friend who entered us into this race, you know, who alerted me to the fact that you could enter races, um, he he sort of said, oh, we would like to enter, you know, this is our names and addresses. And then he wrote, yours in sport (laughs) as his (laughs) sign off. (laughs) And we always really laughed about that. Um, Yeah, that's how it was. And also there were very, very few women running at that time you know I mean it was quite you know you did get a lot of of sort of looks when uh, you know and and heckles and and all of that you know running as a a sort of 19 20 year old woman at that that time you know I'm talking sort of 30 odd years ago um it really wasn't still that common to to see many women out running on their own or to see um to see women at races so it was it was great to kind of be out there, um, you know, getting getting your your medals and stuff. That, um, yeah. As as one of the sort of few, really, at that time. Yeah. What well, what was that first race? The nine miler. Where was it? It was the uh, oh, it was in Avery Hill Park in South East London. Right. And it was the name of a person. It was the you know something or other memorial race yeah. i can't yeah. remember the name of the person but um and it did it did go on for a few years i'm not sure if it still happens now but i know i did do it again um at some time you know a few years later what was what was the first marathon you mentioned in 91 where where was that one <laughs> well that's another one of my sort of complete naiveties about running so i entered the london marathon after i'd done this 9 mile race i entered the london marathon yeah um and just expected that you know that I'd get in and then I didn't get in um but in the the magazine that I got saying oh sorry you didn't get in they yeah. had a flyer for the Luton marathon okay. and I didn't know there were any other marathons I thought London marathon was the only one yeah. in in the UK at least and so I was like oh wow there's another marathon in Luton and um, so I sent off my stamped address envelope <laughs> yep. and I entered the Luton Marathon. And so that ended up being my my very first marathon distance race. And there's a there's a sign, if anyone drives up the M1 um, you know, fairly frequently, or it, that you'll notice that there's a sign sort of as you leave London at some point where it says Luton 26 miles. Right. And I remember passing that sign. My mum was driving me to this race and I remember passing the sign and then, you know, the the time between passing the sign and actually getting to Luton just seemed such a long way. And yeah. I was thinking, I've got to run this far. You know, this is actually the distance I've got to run. And I just, you know, I was so filled with doubt that I would be able to do it. Yeah. Um, and so achieving that that day was very emotional, actually. I remember, you know, I did I did have a few tears when I crossed that first line. Yeah, and uh, and there would there would have been more tears. I mean, had I realised the sort of importance of your actual time, but at that time it just sort of didn't really seem that important. But most people would cringe because I ran four hours and thirty seconds in that race. Oh wow, you were 
very close to having a three in the front then, weren't you? <laughs> I know, but I did. I was just, you know, I'd, people say, oh, how long did it take you? Oh, four hours and 30 seconds. And they'd sort of go, oh, no, you know, so it was a disaster. And then I sort of started to realise, oh, actually, yeah, I suppose if I'd have gone a bit quicker, I could have got 3.59 and, you know. So there you go. Then I was back on the trail to try and uh, do more marathons and get under that four hours, which... Uh, yeah. Did that Which motivate did. you then? Because, I mean, really, I mean, you know, that was a brilliant first marathon. It was only 30 seconds. But did that motivate you then? To... I think it was really sort of almost peer peer pressure. I'd joined a running club by then. Yeah. And um, I think it was, you know, I don't, I hadn't personally felt disappointed that I hadn't got under four hours because I was just amazed I'd have done it at all. Yeah. And, uh, but it was other people really saying oh, God, you, oh, you could, if you'd have just done, you know, got a little bit quicker, you'd have got under four hours. And so then I think it was that, you know, people almost laying down the gauntlet that yeah. made me motivated to to go again and, and, and get that, that sub four time. Um, and, yeah, what I suppose... I suppose I was still motivated to do London as well. You know, I'd kind of realised that, I'd done the distance, but I still hadn't done London. And so that was kind of quite a, a special ambition. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you mentioned evolution there and I spoke that, um, is that part, is that part of the evolution now? Do you think, do you think there's as much peer pressure for, for people in times like that now? Or Well, I think, I mean, there's a running's become, such a, a broad church you know I think and in a really good way you know running can be so many things to so many different people and I think it's it's diversified and, and broadened so much that over these last three decades you know really when I was starting out um you know in the, at, at the time we've just been talking about it was people were either in running clubs or maybe they were a, a bit of a sort of a a lonely goat <laughs> yeah. and just running on their own. But, you know, these, the groups that have emerged now, which are sort of non-competitive um, or just, you know, maybe a little bit competitive, but they're not running clubs. They're not participating in, you know, sort of track season and cross country season and all that. Yeah. That's really, really changed who runs, you know, there's, you don't have to be a certain age or a certain sort of, body type or you know that all of those kind of barriers have have fallen away and a lot of people run for for their mental health they run for um just relief from stress relief you know just to to be part of a community and there's so many reasons that people run now that aren't necessarily about times anymore so I think um for some people, times will always be important. You know, they're always going to be obsessing over their pace. And, um, you know, the people who press pause when they cross the road. Yeah. Are you a person who presses pause when you cross the road, Joe? I'm, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> <laughs> nor am I now. And nor am I a person who will run up and down the street outside my house because I'm at five point eight miles and I'm going to get it up to six I used to be I mean I used to do all that sort of thing but now I just don't think it's that important whether I've run 4.8 miles or five miles or whatever and uh, and the beauty of keeping a paper training diary as well is if you've run 
4.8 miles well you just round it up in your training diary <laughs> you can't do that on Strava but you no. just write five you know no one's gonna know yeah you love that you'll claim that <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think yeah I think you're exactly right I think part run play, has played a big part over the years to break down down those barriers for so many people to oh absolutely really yeah get involved yeah and it's and it's and yeah and like 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 you say it's um people's why is different you know but a lot of people run socially a lot of people run um to meet new friends and meet new people for mental health there's so many different reasons now that are beyond the time um which is which is only a, which can only be a good thing can only be a good thing yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely played a really big part in it. Yeah. So I think it's also brought a new, it, it's really sort of brought this new group of people into marathon running. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I wrote, I wrote my first book about marathons in 2004. So, you know, it's a really long time ago. Yeah. And it was, you know, at that time, you were really only talking to this, you know, uh, you were trying to address everybody who wanted to run a marathon, whether they had never even run before mm-hmm. or whether, you know, they'd already done a marathon, they're quite experienced runner because, you know, to try and break down into different sort of um, subgroups, there just wouldn't be enough of a market to do that then. So it had to be a book about the marathon in its entirety that would apply to anyone. And that market's changed so much now, you know, you've got people who, who are inspired, you know, do park run and then they move on to 10K and then they do a half marathon and they're doing a marathon maybe within a year or two of, of starting mm-hmm. running. And yeah. and I think, you know, that market has has sort of broken into so many different sort of sub, sub-markets or sub-genres that it felt like there was definitely time to, to sort of hone in on a specific group of people yeah. a lot more, you know, these nearly two decades later yes so so your new new book came out in september didn't you called run your best marathon yeah so how how different was that writing this book compared to that book that you've just mentioned in 2004 well it was very different really i think i mean i when i wrote that first edition of of uh marathon from start to finish i mean i I sort of thought I knew knew it all really because I'd, <laughs> I'd run, I don't know, I'd run five, maybe five or six, seven or eight marathons or something yeah. at that point. And, you know, I I'd, I just, yeah, I'd, I'd done lots of research. I'd run a lot. I'd already written a, a book um, about women's running. Yeah. And I just felt like, yeah, I've just got to tell everybody about the marathon. This is how you do it. Um, and I think writing this book, you know, with the, sort of 15 years of coaching experience and a lot more uh, running experience myself yeah um I just felt that there was there was more sort of scope for um putting in my personal experiences and not necessarily just repeating what you're often told Mm. you know you can kind of go on the internet and see what the kind of general consensus is about various Mm. things yeah. And so you tend, you know, you would repeat that general consensus because that's what everyone says you should do. Mm-hmm. And I think now I've had the confidence to say, well, actually, like, why do why do people do that? And is there any evidence to support that? And, yeah. you know, so I felt more able to sort of question 
things and and say well I've tried that but that's never worked for me and what's you know I'll look into the science behind that and maybe that's just a bit of a kind of uh you know the the running equivalent of a of an urban myth or something you know and um so I felt that I was able to put a bit more of myself into the book um and so it's a bit of a, a more personal book and it's also I mean it's a it's a not a colour, uh, you know, a sort of colourful book with lots of pictures of people running in a sort of aspirational fashion because, I mean, my previous books have been of that ilk and that genre, but I think that's because there's such a, a strong um, element of motivation. It's like, you know, yeah, you need to take up running. It's so it's so good for you and it's so great and look at all these lovely pictures of people looking happy and out running. But yeah. this market, they don't need that message because they already get that. You know, they are already runners. They already understand all the things that running can do for them. And they just want to know what is it I've been doing wrong or what is it I really need to do in order to finally break that time barrier or to run without getting injured during the training or to finally step up to my to the marathon for the first time. You know, and that's so it's very, very directed towards the person who's already a runner and maybe even has done some marathons, um, but hasn't quite felt that they've yet cracked it. Yes. So do I have a copy? I haven't read it all yet. I must go back. <laughs> That's all right. I, the questions that I'm going to quiz you on are all from uh, Chapter 1. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Chapter 1? Uh, it's, it's, so it says Section 1 on training from runner to marathoner, and it, within the contents it says why the marathon is more than just another race. Tell, tell, me a little, tell us all a little bit more about that. What does that mean? Well, I think the main message of that is that you can get away, even you know, at, at half marathon distance and certainly you know, all the distances below that, you can get away with you know, doing very little preparation yeah. Or doing the wrong kind of preparation, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of preparation we go, oh, that wasn't really ideal. You know, people who, uh, you know, I know someone who went out and ran the half marathon distance three days before, went and literally did it on a track, ran round and round and round and round the track because his confidence sort of broke and he wanted to prove to himself that he could run that distance. Yes. Um, but and then went and yeah, so then you know was obviously still aching like mad and really exhausted by the time he reached race day. But he still you know was able to do it. Yeah. Um, but you can't do that with the marathon. The marathon, in terms of the the physiological and biomechanical demands on your body, yes, is such a step up that there isn't any room for making those kind of mistakes with with uh, with your preparation or with your race execution you know you can get away with starting off a bit fast in a 10k because you're a bit excited and feeling fresh because you've had a little taper and the adrenaline's pumping and you can get away with it oops you know you did your first mile 20 seconds too quick you'll still be able to 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 execute that race successfully but you can't do that with a marathon you know the marathon it's not one of those races where you can kind of go, oh, well, I'm feeling good now, so I'll just keep, you know, pressing as, as hard as I can now. And then when I feel a bit tired later, well, at least I'll have got some miles in the bag. No, doesn't it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest difference um, between the marathon and, and the shorter distance 
races and and then you have to just take the recovery of after those long runs in particular you just yeah. more seriously you know you you're looking at once you're getting onto those those sort of much longer distances mm-hmm. that you you know you can't just kind of get home and um you know have a quick shower and then get on with you know some other sort of physical task or go and have a few pints or whatever you know you do need yeah. to take those recovery practices more seriously because how quickly you recover and how well you recover will feed into how well your body adapts to that training session that you've done and also feeds into how well you're going to perform in the subsequent training sessions so it is really really crucial to take recovery seriously which again you know you're probably not going to need to take that quite so seriously on shorter distance races yes you have to respect the distance Afterwards, yes, that's like you say. Although I, I must admit, I, I do like a pint after the end of a marathon. So. <laughs> <laughs> you can do what you like after the marathon. It's the training that's the. I mean, that it's often you know it, it, we talk about the race itself, but really it's the training itself that's the really kind of tough bit, isn't it? Because the marathon is is one day of your life that you have to you know, do certain things, but all the training, you know, that's months of, of having to prioritize it and, and, you know, push, push through discomfort and, um, you know, go out when you don't really feel like it. And, and so the training is really where that, where you lay down that sort of discipline and that focus. Mm -hmm. And also I talk about something else in the book, which is about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah. So the idea that, you know, it's not always going to feel good and, and lots of newer runners sort of see feeling uncomfortable as a sign that they need to stop or that it's too hard or whatever. But actually, it's part of the, you know, the the experience of, of doing long runs, of, of, you know, pushing yourself in a race, actually having to sort of endure that discomfort. Yeah. And expecting yeah. to have bad patches, you know, not every long run is going to be, you know, a, a sort of walk in the park and really come back with a massive smile on your face. You know, sometimes you're going to have bad patches and to just recognize that and sort of when one comes along, you can then sort of say, oh, right, here's one of those bad patches. What can I do? You know, is my has my form sort of really deteriorated and I'm sort of, you know, shuffling along or I'm really, um, you know, hunched up in my shoulders or... Um, you know, I'm giving myself lots of negative self-talk and saying, oh, God, this is awful. You know, I knew I couldn't do it, whatever. You know, what can you do in that moment to make things better? Maybe it's about taking on a gel or taking on a drink. So, you know, you're more well-prepared for hitting mm-hmm. a bad patch if you don't consider it to be a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I often see comments via our Twitter feed of our... Um all-consuming marathon training is uh, which is what i feel that you're describing it's um you know your long run for a 10k or a half marathon is very different to your long run on a on a sunday morning to to your marathon and then you know the after effects of that if you don't refuel properly and um yeah it's very much all-consuming it is it is an all-consuming uh process really and that's why i mean i've included that thing about um there's a chapter called all about you and it is really about you know you do need to factor all of those things in when you're thinking about a marathon and how long you're going to need um because 
you know, a marathon program might be, you know, what minimum of 12 weeks or 14 weeks, 16 weeks, something like that. And, you know, a lot of people sort of don't really think that much beyond that program. So they'll sort of say, oh, I want to do a 3.30 marathon or a four hour marathon. So then they'll sort of pick the training program off the shelf, you know, off the internet or, you know, out of the book. And, and as long as they do whatever it says in the program, that that's what result they'll get. But that, but that program doesn't know anything about that person. The program is just a completely inanimate thing, you know. And so, you know, that is really not factoring yourself into the equation. You've got to think, well, what am I bringing to this program? And if you've never run a half marathon or you've only ever run, you know, 30 miles once in your life, you know, is you're going to have a very steep curve over the period of that training plan. Um, there's going to be very few opportunities to sort of step back and recover because you're going to have to work quite consistently to get up to those longer run distances. So that's really one of the things that I've changed about how I approach a marathon program um, to avoid that Mm -hmm. rate of progression being so steep. Mm -hmm. When when did you become a coach? Um, I became a coach um, in 2007 um, officially, you know, so kind of doing my training to become a coach. Um, and prior to that, I'd, um, I did a exercise and sports science degree. Um, and so I was kind of coaching a little bit, uh, before I did the, the, the official sort of UKA coach training. So I'd already had quite a good grounding in sports science and, and, uh, biomechanics, nutrition, sports psychology, all of those aspects all came into my, into my exercise and sports science degree. So yeah. I loved that. I loved all of all of the study. I was a yeah. real, uh, a real geek. <laughs> <laughs> what What's your style as a coach when you're working with people? Um, I think it's really about sort of working with the person you've got in front of you. So it goes back to a little bit what I just said about the you know people trying to pick the program off the shelf. You know, you can't sort of say, "Well, this is how." everyone should train for the marathon. So I've got this person in front of me and I'm going to just give them this program because you need to work with that person's unique strengths and weaknesses, the sort of person they are, you know, do they like lots of routine and repetition or they get bored very easily? Do they need a lot of variety Mm -hmm. um, to keep interested? Um, You know, what are their natural strengths? You know, they can go all day, but acquire sort of, you know, slow, steady pace, or are they really good at speed? you know, what, where do we need to really focus the attention? And so each, each kind of person is almost like a puzzle to solve, I suppose. Um, and you're doing that, you know, in conjunction with them by learning more about, about that person and, um, you know, what, what makes them tick, what, what, what their aspirations are, you know, not everybody's going into the marathon with, um, a time goal, you know, lots of people are just, um, just want to get to the finish line because they've tried before and they've always got injured along the training journey um, or they just want to do it um, for a personal challenge and um, to raise money, all those sorts of things. So you can't inflict your goal. You can never give someone a goal. You know, it's them. It's got to be their goal. And it's about working with them to figure out what that is yes. um, and then help them find the best way to to achieve it. 
when you do that, when you help them find the best way to achieve it, what what's that like for you as a coach? Oh, it's it's incredibly rewarding. Uh, yeah, you just feel so you feel so sort of proud of people. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a sense of pride um, when people achieve what they set out to achieve, and that you've been part of that journey. It's it's such a, a great feeling. Yes, and I mean, I've done a lot of group uh, coaching. Uh, over the years I started my first running group in London in I think I was thinking about this earlier I think it was 2007 Um, and that was the women's hackney running group yeah and then I I left London um, three years after that and moved down to East Sussex and then um, my husband who's also a runner um, and I started Rye Runners in the town of Rye yeah. Uh, on the Sussex coast. And that's now been going for uh, 12 years. And so many people have been through Rye Runners. You know, not all of them are still there. You know, people have gone on and, um, you know, they now just run on their own or they've gone on to join um, sort of athletics clubs or yeah. they've set up their own groups yeah. or have moved away, all sorts of different things. But so many people have been sort of touched or changed by that by that group it's a real community and it's still a very big and thriving community and we actually don't run it anymore we sort of have passed it on to the next generation of coaches who we'd um sort of trained and and worked with over the years and uh and I I just go along now to do the training yeah lovely (laughs) and just take part which is absolutely lovely and to to see how all the people there who have developed not just as runners, but also all the ones who've come up through Rye Runners who are now the ones who are coaching is really rewarding to see that as well. Yeah, it all comes back to that why again we were talking about earlier, you know, but it gives people a sense of community, it gives them focus, it gives them friendship, it gives them fitness. It's um it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. See, so as as we've said, the new book's called Run Your Best Marathon. So I've got to ask you then about your best marathon. So what, what's been your favourite that you've took part in? And then what, what's been the one that you've considered to be your best performance? Mm, I wonder if uh, they can both be London marathons. <laughs> be the same, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think, I mean, I think the year that I did my best marathon uh, in terms of my time uh, is, is was a pretty special one because the year before, uh, I, do you know, I can't remember the year. Um, I think it was 2006 was yeah. my, um, my PB year. Um, and the year before I'd broken 3.30 for the first time. Yeah. And it was so painful it was so so difficult and like at the end of it I was literally you know getting a massage from the St John's ambulance person because my hip was in so much agony so I felt it was really really hard earned and and I was but I'd finally sort of done it and then the year after I was running you know training for the marathon again ran London again and I just felt like I was just like flying just running on air or something and I crossed the line in 3.22 that year and it felt, you know, so, so much easier than eking out that previous year's time. It was like something had really sort of stepped up or moved on in my body and, and to run that time and, and to run it and not even really feel 
that fatigued by it at the end and and I just you know I, I felt elated absolutely elated um but then I got sort of stuck on a bit of a I did three marathons in three years which were all 322 really did you yeah time? wow I never managed to get quicker than 322 so I yeah I did 322 and x number of seconds and then slightly different number of seconds and then <laughs> a slightly different number of seconds and yeah so I never I never did beat that time well it, it's still a it's still a very good time Sam one should be pleased with <laughs> yeah I am pleased with it but uh, yeah it's uh it's you know I always thought I would I always thought oh, I'm gonna get there I'll get there and then yes I just didn't quite get there um and then another year that I ran London um I ran as a pacer Okay. And that was so much fun. I ran with the um, sub 430 group. Yeah. And um, started off in Greenwich Park and, you know, had my big sign with my sort of, you know, yeah. Runner's World sort of sub 430 banner thing on it. And, you know, and a couple of people came up and, and started chatting, but not many. I was a little bit disappointed because I thought, oh, there's not many people, you know, coming along to do this journey with me. Mm-hmm. And then, so we set off and only about a mile down the road, I saw a friend of mine by the side of the road and I went, oh, Christian, hi, you know, and I sort of went and, and sort of went over to give him a big hug. And suddenly all these people, because I darted off the course, all these people were like, oh, hang on, what, what's happening? Where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> and I realised I actually had this really big crowd with me, but they hadn't really kind of come up and said anything. And... They're when I they just sort of seemed they? to think I was going to leave the course or whatever, or I was going to lose time chatting to this friend, mm-hmm. they all kind of made themselves known. So after that, it was funny, and, and we all chatted a lot more. Yeah. Um, and I've just loved it. I felt like I had to sort of be, uh, you know, motivator, comedian, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of nurse. You know, is everyone all right? And making sure people had had their gels and all that. And I just loved the experience. Of, of pacing and I got everyone across the line in four hours and 28 and a half minutes <laughs> it's, it, 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 so really, I felt really really pl- proud of that yeah pacing's really become a big part of a lot of the races isn't it like you say they can really add to the experience for people um keeping them going and pacing. yeah yeah definitely yeah I think um I think they're great but I think you need to think quite carefully about you know often people if they think that you know that they're quite near a pace time you know say they've run you know they think that they're capable of running just under 430 so they think oh well, I know I'll go with the 415 pacer mm-hmm. I think that can kind of backfire a bit because there's nothing worse than trying to set you know setting off with a pacer and then not being able to keep up and seeing them you know sort of disappear into the distance that's so demoralizing so I think, you know, it's often better to start with the pacer that's going to be quite comfortable for you just to prevent you from making that, you know, eternal error of going off too fast and, you know, use that as a, as a sort of steadying influence. And then when you get to the point where you think, OK, now I'm ready to sort of push myself a bit more to then go off and leave them. And that's so much more um, uh, positive for your for your sort of mind. Yes your mental state when you're in that sort of latter half of a marathon to be able to push on rather than to be just you know holding on to the back of the group with desperation mm-hmm. well i 
what what does your I, I wanted to dig into a little bit what what does your writing look like you know when do you you know when you're writing your new book or, or, do, do you take yourself away do you have, have you got a specific room you go to do you do you block out time do you when something comes to you you have to write it down what what, what what's that creative process look like well uh yeah we have got we've got an office a sort of little cabin in the garden yeah um which was originally my office and then of course after the pandemic um or during and since the pandemic when everybody's working lives changed so much and my husband works from home quite quite a few days a week still yeah so then he moved into the office as well and then I was quite quickly um saying I can't work with someone else in the room I'm not used to working with someone else in the room and I was trying to write the book so then I moved into the house into the spare room (laughs) and um and he had the office for a bit and so now we tend to do we do sort of three or four months shifts because it's lovely to be in the garden yes um it's got a stable door so you can have the sort of top half of the door open and Very nice. uh yeah and just listening to the birds and you know just getting getting that uh nice green view out the window um i definitely need to i need sort of space and and time on my own you know i really find i can't work with distractions like i could never work with the radio on or with music on or mm-hmm. you know i really struggle when there's other people in in, in the vicinity so I'm, I'm quite a sort of solitary person when I'm writing and um, yeah I'm, I'm quite structured I suppose you know I, I need to kind of get my head around what what the structure of the book needs to be before I can write anything so I can't just sort of sit down and start to write mm-hmm. um, I need to almost take the reader on on this kind of logical journey sort of well this is our starting point this is where we are so what do we need to get from here to where we want to get? We need these things and they should come in this order. So I, I'm kind of quite methodical and, and structured. Um, but what I found really f- sort of interesting and, and fun about writing this book was there's lots of things that I kind of thought I knew. You know, I know them from, you know, when I was studying my sports science degree or when I was writing the first marathon book or from years of um, writing articles for Runners World and my Murphy's Law column, and you sort of think, oh yeah, well I know that. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. There's um, a little bit about the um, the way that you where what what you think about really when you're running, sort of what your focus is, whether it's um, yeah. an external focus or an internal focus. And mm-hmm. there used to be this idea that you know that sort of real runners (laughs) elite runners would focus internally Uh and that sort of more recreational runners would focus externally Uh and you know that if you wanted to be a good runner you really needed to be able to sort of turn your attention inwards and think about you know your body and your breathing and you know you didn't want to be thinking about what you're going to have for dinner you know it's very unprofessional um and you know that's been completely debunked now and i so it's really interesting seeing what research had come up since this you know what used to be considered the sort of um the yeah. truth about certain things um and just finding what what had changed in in those um areas that was really yeah. really interesting yeah i uh, uh, that's the exact reason why i go for a run if i 
I want to be outside of my own head, not inside my own head. So that yeah. it's like a release. So um, if I find myself thinking about things whilst I'm running, then then yeah, that, that then I'd equate that to being a bad run. Yeah, well, there was one study which found um, that when people focused, uh, you know, on things like focus on the rhythm of your feet or focus on, um, you know, trying to, I run tall or whatever, you know, that actually their people's running economy did drop, you know, they were actually running less efficiently when they were focusing too intently on what they were actually doing. And I think it's a little bit like driving, you know, you get in your car and you drive, you know, you just sort of turn the key and then you put it in gear and, and off you go. But if you actually sat there and thought, right, well, now I need to do, I need to push the clutch down and then I need yeah. to look at it. You actually make it harder for yourself because this process, which has become automated, mm-hmm. you're trying to break it down into all its component parts and think about each one again. And then suddenly everything becomes a bit clunky and a bit difficult yeah. to put together. Mm. Um, and so actually just focusing, what what this research found was that actually most people focus internally some of the time and externally some of the time and you know if you're really in pain in your body it's probably a lot better to focus on the crowd along the side of the marathon route and really engage with the crowd and um, or talk to another runner or you know yeah guess what color your next jelly baby's going to be that you get out (laughs) you know do something distracting to distract Mm. you from that pain but equally if you you know you're really on that last mile and you're quite within your your goal time you know you want to maybe you know use counting or something to really get you focused in and look at the person in front and try and match their cadence to sort of draw you towards them and you know there's things that you might do that would take you more inside your body to really just get that last bit out of yourself yeah so it's actually being able to shift focus I think that's really important rather than having a specific style of focus yes I, confession when when I was researching you before we spoke <laughs> <laughs> I saw you're studying again oh I am I am I love studying so when I um when I did my sports exercise and sports science degree I'd already worked as a journalist for um probably 10 years and I wasn't specifically writing about um health or fitness or running I was a I was on women's magazines I was a features editor mm-hmm. on a on a woman's magazine woman and home yeah. and um I'd worked on on various other titles prior to that and I'd become a runner and I had sort of become more and more interested in running and fitness so I was starting to do a bit of moonlighting writing for other publications yeah. about running and about um fitness and health mm-hmm. And I became so sort of interested in that world that I decided to leave my job and go and and do this exercise and sports science degree. Mm-hmm. And then it was after that, when I came out, that I specialised in writing about running um, yeah. and, and other aspects of, of, of fitness. But, you know, and then I wrote my first book and, yes. and all of that. And then, so I suppose over the last... Um, five four or five years um I went my husband and and me took a sabbatical in 2017 Mm -hmm. we went to Scotland and we walked up the west coast of Scotland and we did uh, the Cape Wrath Trail um, which 
there's a there's a race in fact that that takes place on the Cape, Cape Wrath Trail, the Cape Wrath Ultra. And, yeah. you know, I don't know how anyone does that because we walked it. <laughs> it was really hard. <laughs> we were carrying tents and all our cooking stuff and we had the dog. Yeah. And it was an absolutely fantastic trip. And that really sort of, it kind of reconnected me to nature in a way that I hadn't been connected to nature for a long time. And it reminded me of how much I used to love bird watching and and you know going off to the park and mm-hmm. just kind of being outside as as a as a kid and I'd kind of forgotten about that I grew up in London and I, I had just sort of really put that aside and this trip kind of triggered that for me and you know I would see birds and I'd think god is that a hen harrier or is that a a stone chat or something you know and I couldn't remember I couldn't believe how much I remembered from years and years and years before, you know, that I, so I got myself a pair of binoculars and I just became, I sort of fell back in love with, with nature. And, and that coincided, I suppose, with my growing realization that nature is in a very, very bad way. You know, the natural world is, Mm -hmm. is so depleted, you know, particularly so in this, in this country. And so I kind of, started to read a lot more about that and that has started to sort of feed into into my writing and and to my running in a way as well you know I we talked about that dragonfly at the beginning of 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 our chat and uh I think you know nature sort of has it was always the backdrop to my runs you know it was always there and I loved I've always liked running you know nice places green spaces and and being on trails and but that's really become the sort of centre of my running now rather than the backdrop. And so, you know, I I won't worry that I'm going to suddenly have a 12-minute mile on my watch because I've stopped to see whether the bee I'm looking at is a, you know, a buff tail or a a white tail bumblebee. (laughs) You know, I don't mind that anymore and I will stop and, you know, um, and look at things and just, just take in the sort of the wonders of nature rather than just run straight past them. Yeah. Um, and so all of that, going back to your, your question, yeah. <laughs> uh, led me to um, sign up to an MA. So going back to my sort of writing roots um, in something called wild writing. Yes. So it's a, an MA course, which is focused on nature and environmental writing. Um, and I thought, right, this is great. This is, me moving away from mm-hmm. writing just about running you know I need to expand mm-hmm. my horizons I feel it's time to you know I need to um you know honor this this new kind of passion that I've got yeah and then my very first piece of work what did I write about <laughs> <laughs> running in the world what did you do? I wrote about running yeah I wrote about the experience of how you you know that, that you actually do experience nature differently when you're running than when you're walking and uh yeah. so that ended up constituting my first piece of of work that I handed in on the course <laughs> so the running will always be there but I think you know we have to let ourselves evolve you know we can't try and keep in the same place and I can't run the park run in the same time as I used to you know I'm getting older and I've been running for a long time I mean some people who are my age say oh yeah you definitely can still improve but maybe that's because they've been running three years or seven years or whatever you know when you've been running 
for most of your adult life and you know you've you've trained with knowledge and uh education and and consistency there's going to be a point where you're not going to improve anymore and we all have to kind of find a way of dealing with that and um age grading is fantastic that's a fantastic uh sort of way of of uh, a way a sort of a measuring stick i suppose that if you're if you're motivated by measuring sticks then it's a new way to kind of um compete and 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 challenge yourself and assess yourself yeah um but yeah. i've just found that yeah just kind of a slightly different approach to my running and being less worried about how far i've gone or how fast i've gone and actually just the experience of the run itself um, is the way I derive a lot of joy from running now. Yeah, I, I love that. So you, it's like the evolution of your running and the evolution of your writing. It's all all culminating together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, amazing. And I, I and I, I love that you're studying again. It's life is all about learning for me. Um, oh completely completely there's there's so there's just so much to learn isn't there mm. i i abs- i feel so sort of animated when when i'm studying i lo- i love that feeling of just being you know receptive to sort of new information um yeah and i had that you know doing do, writing the book as i said you know just kind of you think you know stuff but um you don't realize that it's always evolving and moving on and to just tap back into that and find, find out new things is, is great. But yes, this whole sort of new world of, uh, of nature and botany and entomology and, and ornithology and um, trees, yeah. just, you know, I'm, I'm just finding that sort of so fascinating and it's opened up a whole new genre of, of reading and writing for me. So I'm really enjoying that. Brilliant. Sam, thanks ever so much for coming and having a chat. I've, I've, I've loved. We, we could keep going. We've, we've done nearly an hour. <laughs> really, really good. So, for listeners, Sam writes in Runners World every month. Your, your column is Murphy's Law. But just, just to remind everyone about the new book, where they can get it, where they can follow you and interact with you as well, please. Yeah, sure. So the new book is um, it's Run Your Best Marathon, um, published by. Bloomsbury it's it came out on September the 15th so it's still um still warm from the from the yeah. press <laughs> um and it should be available uh, in all good bookshops as they say um and monoliths on on the internet as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I uh, I'm on Twitter as um at Sam Murphy Runs and the same uh, name on Instagram as well. Brilliant. Sam, thanks ever so much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been fantastic. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about running because I never miss an opportunity to talk about running. (laughs) Cheers, Sam. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.